This morning's scripture comes from Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set out apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received the grace and apostleship to bring out the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, well, welcome to Salt Church. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you. I know there's a lot of new people in the room. There's a lot of guests from far away who have come to visit and celebrate and support us. And we got the OG who, here who has been here for like six months, uh, slaving away to get this church planted in Greeley. And so I just want to take a moment to say uh, welcome. Uh, and I want to start by just celebrating some of the things God has done over the last six months to get us to this point, this public launch, the birth of our new church. The last six months, I kind of look at it like this developmental stage, like we were in the womb for six months, and now we're coming out. We're a brand new uh, baby church. Uh, We've got to see literally probably like 35 people from our core team grow and blossom into a church of about 60 people. What's amazing about this group is we're probably from 10 to 11 uh, different states with more people moving from different places all around the country to help start this church. And these people have been so faithful. People like Anders and Jason and Briley and Riley and Monica and Jared. Uh, It has been amazing, guys. They've been showing up 7 a.m., setting up, tearing down long hours on Sundays. And it's been amazing to see God build his church through these heroes, these faithful saints who have come together to build this church. Another fun story is there's a kid who came here. He had such church hurt from his last church. He literally had trouble sleeping that night. And he started coming to our church, and you know what he said to me and John? He's like, this has been so healing. I'm so thankful to experience a community of grace. Praise God. We've literally run into dozens of people, things, people like Garrett, Kylie, uh, people like um, Noah and Emma, literally dozens of people who have said, we've been praying for a church in Greeley that would be multi-generational, that would have a heart for the college campus and the next generation. And we are so thankful. We've been praying for you. It's been amazing, you guys. Another amazing story is the favor we've had with this college campus. Me and John talked to a lot of church planters. There's a church plant in Syracuse where they literally said, you'll never be on our campus. It's a private school. We do not want you here. Most college campuses do not want churches or college ministries on campus, but UNC has been amazing. They've loved us. They've invited us in. In fact, they even gave us a discount on rent for this room because they wanted us here. And the people who serve us setting up catering, food, coffee, and donuts, they have been amazing. And one of the cool stories is one of these young men said to John, he said, hey, you guys are literally the coolest, nicest people we've ever hosted on campus. I'm so thankful we're here. And so praise God for the favor we've had with the University of Northern Colorado. And another celebration, last week we sent about nine college kids uh, to our annual SALT conference uh, to join over 4,000 college students. And one young lady gave her life to Christ during this trip. Yes, amen. 
So everything we've done has been worth it. Praise God. We're going to have two baptisms today, which we're going to celebrate after this gathering. And literally, there are so many stories that have happened over the past six months. It would literally take all day to share them. But this is what happens, Salt Church, when we take a risk and we live by faith. God moves in a mighty and powerful way. And so why do we plant churches? Why college ministry? Why Greeley? Why the University of Northern Colorado? Well, first of all, church planting, we believe, is the most effective way to make disciples and plant new churches by fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, Statistics say that 90% of churches in America right now are plateaued or declining, and thousands of churches close their doors every year. And so the reality is we need more churches to fulfill the Great Commission. Statistics also say that 90% of a church's growth happens in the first five years, and non-believers are twice as likely to attend a church plant than an already established church. So the reality is we need more churches. Now, why college ministry? We love college kids because we believe college kids are the engine that drives church planting and missions. Statistics say that 99% of people who put their faith in Christ do so before the age of 30. Isn't that amazing? One of my best friends is here, Drew. I was just thinking of him during worship, and we were total losers in college, you guys. We were broken sinners, and then Jesus broke through to our story in college. College students are still looking for value and meaning and purpose, and so the harvest is so ripe for college students. And college students drive missions. You talk to someone who's my age, 35 years old, and you say, hey, you want to move to Japan or Taiwan to start a church? And I'm like, no, that sounds exhausting, right? (laughs) But you talk to somebody from the age of 18 to 25, and they're like, yes, that sounds amazing. Sign me up. And that's why I believe commentators are right when they say Jesus' disciples were probably from the age of like 18 to 25. And so we love young people at this church because we believe you guys are going to be the one that fulfills the Great Commission. You guys are going to be the ones that lead your peers to the Lord, not me and John. And so we love college ministry. Why Greeley? Uh, According to Google, Greeley is the fourth fastest growing metro area in the United States. 20% growth over the last 10 years and expected to keep growing and growing. And from our reconnaissance, when we talk to people in the city, they have said, they've all said, hey, there's not a lot of gospel-centered churches that have a heart to reach the next generation that's into church planting and college ministry. And so we were so excited to come to this place where the Lord is already at work and bringing people from all over the world to this city. And YUNC, it's a university of over 10,000 students. And uh, from what we've gathered, there's really only like two or three college ministries on campus. Maybe less than 100 kids are part of a local church or college ministry here. So there's literally a mission field right here at the University of Northern Colorado. So we're so excited to to be Salt Church here in Greeley. And so our normal practice here now that we are in our public launch is that we're going to be preaching through the Bible. In the Bible, it's the single story of what went wrong what God did about it, and how we are to respond. It's the inspired word of God. And Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is why we're going to preach through books of the Bible here at Salt Church. The Bible's timeless. It's objectively true. It gives faith. It gives life. It encourages. It corrects. And it challenges. And so we're going to be starting in the book of Romans. And why Romans? Romans is going to tell us that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And faith is what makes us right with God. And so the theme of the book of Romans is this, 
that we are justified by faith. This is what separates Christianity from every other worldview and religion. We are justified by our faith in Christ. And this matters so much for us today, church, because everyone is trying to fix themselves. Everyone is trying to fix their insecurities, their fears, and everyone's trying to fix the injustices that are going on in the world. But it always seems like our power is limited and we never arrive when we try to fix ourselves or the world. So as we dive into Romans, we're going to see there's a new power in the world, a quiet power that's far greater than any power that the world has ever seen. Any earthly kingdom, the Bible, the gospel is more powerful. It literally took over the greatest empire in the history of the world like a hot knife through butter. And it's the same power that's going forth today that's bringing the dead to life and spreading to all tribes, tongues, and nations throughout the world. So my main point today in this sermon is this. God is inviting us into his redemptive story. I'm going to have three points. The first one is this, that we are invited by the Holy Servant to follow the reigning Savior and to live as saints who are called and obedient. So before we jump into this uh, message, I'd love if you guys could join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your timeless word. We thank you that you revealed what went wrong, and we thank you that you did something about it. And we thank you that you're calling us to join in this redemptive story, Lord, that we can be part of the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile all creation to you, that we can be the people who we were made to be, that we could usher in your kingdom and know you now and forever. And I pray you bless this time. Lord, open up our ears, open up our hearts, illuminate your word by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look at this first point. We are invited by the Holy Servant, who is Paul. Romans 1.1 says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, what do we know about Paul the apostle? Uh, Throughout the scriptures, we know this, that he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He was highly educated in that he knew several languages. He had Roman citizenship, meaning he was probably from a wealthy and affluent family. And we also know that, in a sense, he was kind of like a terrorist, The first martyr was a young man named Stephen who was executed at the order of Paul because Stephen said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need to repent. And what's amazing about this story, when Stephen was executed, as they killed him for blasphemy, so they thought, these were the last words of Stephen as he looked, I believe, at Paul in the crowd. Lord, don't hold their sins against them. Well, guess what? I believe God heard this prayer and revealed the truth to Paul on the road to Damascus. So on the road to Damascus, where Paul's going to persecute and kill more Christians, Paul has an encounter with Jesus. And like Paul, like myself, when we meet Jesus, everything changes. Like Isaiah the prophet, like John the apostle, like many of you, when you encounter God, you change. And you start to live for something greater. So Paul is radically changed. He stops living for religion He stops living for the praise of man. He stops living for wealth and notoriety, and he begins to live for the glory of God. See, the gospel is like dying of something like terminal cancer or HIV or Alzheimer's, and all of a sudden someone brings the cure to you, and you're completely healed. And now that you are healed, you want to move and help others. You can't just live in peace while others perish when you have the cure. And so Paul is rescued, and he joins in God's rescue mission. Another way to look at it is like this. When you taste Chick-fil-A for the first time, 
Like, honestly, it changes you. You're like, why would I ever go back to bad sandwiches, right? Uh, Last week, my in-laws came and visited, and it was the first time my father-in-law went to Chick-fil-A. And we're literally sitting down. This is what he said. He took a bite, and he was like, mmm, it's so moist. It's so tender. How can this be? I've been missing out. (laughs) And in a sense, he was born again. (laughs) And this is what Jesus does when we taste his goodness. And if you're a college student here, we actually have a Chick-fil-A gift card for you after the gathering. And uh, next week, 8 p.m., right here, Thursday night, uh, we have our spring preview. You're invited. We'll also have another Chick-fil-A gift card for you to have some more of that heavenly taste. Uh, Drake has those cards. Drake, where are you at? You want to put your hand up? All right, college kids, go see Drake afterwards. He's got those (laughs) gift cards, all right? All right, so why Rome? Uh, Verse 7 says he's writing to the Romans. Now, at this time, Rome was the center of the world. It was the capital of the greatest empire in all of the world. Everyone was always going to Rome and then leaving Rome. There's a story of a young man named Tertullian, and he was an African lawyer, highly educated, and he would visit Rome for these reasons, for gambling, the gladiator games, and for sex. It was like Las Vegas on steroids. But he notices something different when he goes to Rome this one time. He notices the holiness and power of Christians, and he hears the gospel for the first time. And he later wrote this, Jesus is more powerful than anything or anyone because he heals your soul. And he was born again, and he immediately went on mission, and he brought the gospel back to Africa and Carthage. And like Paul chose Rome, this is why we believe God wants us to come to Greeley and UNC. People from all over go to universities and college centers. Drake, one of our, uh, our college director, just had an international student from Japan over. And we believe that people here can uh, come to Greeley and hear the gospel and then take it back to these places where the gospel has never been preached and change the world. And so this is a strategic place to plant the church here in Greeley at the University of Northern Colorado. Next in verse 1, notice Paul says he preaches the gospel of God. Now, gospel is just a Greek word that means good news. Uh, But he says the gospel of God. And the reality, there's lots of good news in the world out there, but there's only one good news from God. Let me explain. There's lots of good news depending on where you live or where you're from. Uh, Think of it like this. If you live in Denver right now, I've talked to my friends in Denver. You know what they're really excited about good news for them? That Colorado is reintroducing the wolf to Colorado, right? They're like, this is amazing. Uh, We're restoring our natural habitat to how it used to be before we showed up. This is great, right? And then when I talk to my friends north of Fort Collins who are ranchers who have calves and like sheep, they're like, this is really bad news. We are going to lose a lot of our livestock because of these wolves. Uh, Think of it like this. If you live in Kansas City, you love that referee call that won the Super Bowl, right? Like, that was really good news. But in Philly, that was not good news. That was really bad, and you still don't think that was a penalty. You know what? I think it probably was. I don't know. It's debatable. See, in the world, good news is exclusive. Good news in Colorado may not be good news in Wyoming, but the gospel is an all-inclusive good news for all the universe and all of creation. It's good news for all. It's the ultimate good news for all peoples, regardless of race, class, gender, socioeconomic background, political affiliation, where you live or where you're from. See, the gospel of God is this. It's the declaration of what Christ did, that the author of the Bible, the word became flesh 
dwelt among us and stepped into his own story to do what we could never do. And then he rewrites our history by forgiving us our sin. And then he invites us into his redemptive story. And so the gospel of God is the good news that's all about Jesus Christ, which leads to my second point, the call to follow the reigning Savior. Let's look at Romans 1, 2 through 4. It reads this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from the line of David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And so this is what Paul tells us about Jesus. We see that Jesus is promised, he's kingly, he's human, he's divine, and he's resurrected from the dead. Now, why does this matter? First of all, he's promised. See, when someone fulfills something written hundreds of years ago, it affirms the character and validity of the author. Think about it like this. If I say, hey, after church, I want to meet you at Cafe Max, and I'm going to pay for your lunch. Imagine uh, you go there and I'm not there. You might give me grace the first time, right? But imagine next week, I'm like, hey, meet me down at Cafe Rio. I really want to take you out to lunch. I'll be there this time. Imagine you show up and I'm not there. What are you guys going to think? You're going to think, that guy is not trustworthy. Uh, He's not someone that I can trust. And God wants you to know something. He literally fulfilled hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. So you can know, without a shadow of a doubt, he's trustworthy, he's good, his character is unbreakable, and his character is stable. See, there's nothing worse than the dad who says, yes, I'll be there, and then he isn't, right? Honestly, that messes with our heart. This is why God wants you to know he's a good father. He's the best father, and he wants to adopt you, and he always keeps his word. You can trust him. You don't have to worry about him leaving you, abandoning you, rejecting you. His word is true. Here's some of the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus that he fulfilled. I could go on forever, but I'm just going to give a few. The Old Testament said Jesus would be born of a virgin, just like we sang, fulfilled that he would be crucified, fulfilled, that his bones would not be broken, fulfilled, that he would be born in Bethlehem, fulfilled, that he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilled, that he would come from the line of Abraham, this was fulfilled, that he would come from the kingly line of David and the tribe of Judah, fulfilled. You guys, this is a miracle. For all these things to be fulfilled, this cannot be random chance. This was God fulfilling his word and his promise for you. Next, Paul says Jesus came in the flesh. And this matters because being with God, we need two things. We need forgiveness and we need righteousness. And Jesus gives us both of these requirements to have access to God. So first of all, we need to be forgiven of sin. What is sin? You can't really have the good news of the gospel until you hear the bad news of sin. And I love what A.W. Tozer said about sin. He said, we all have a throne on our heart. All have a throne on our heart. And God was meant to be there in the center of everything we do. But sin is removing God with things. It's replacing God with things like comfort, security, power, and money. And then we look to those things to save us and satisfy us. It's kind of like having a car that runs off of gasoline. And you say, you know what? I think I'm going to take this gasoline out of the car, and I'm going to replace it with water in hopes that it will run better. What's going to happen to that car? It's going to fall apart, right? And this is often why our lives are falling apart. This is why the world is falling apart. It's because of sin. We've replaced God with things. Next, sin isn't just replacing God with things. It's treason. 
See, God says, I'm the king. This is my world. This is my universe. Here are my commands. You need to obey them. And what does man say to God? I don't even know if there is a God. The Bible? Man, I'm not going to follow that. Jesus, the king? No, I'm the king of my life. I'm going to do what I want. I used to be a high school history teacher, and I was shocked to read some of the stories of people who were English citizens who were born in England, supposed to be loyal to the crown of, of the United Kingdom. And you know what they said? You know what? This isn't my kingdom. This isn't my home. You know who I want to be faithful to? Adolf Hitler and his kingdom in Nazi Germany. And when they found these traitors who didn't bow the knee to the crown of England, what did they do with them? They killed them. That's what would literally happen in history. And I'm here to tell you this. The most shocking thing about the story of the Bible is that even though we are sinful and we're traitors and God should respond to us through opposition, he shows us grace and instead he takes our place. So the picture of sin, it's like this. We're on death row, but Jesus says, I'll pay for your, tre- your treason. Jesus, in a sense, is the scapegoat. He gets our blame. He gets our guilt. Uh, what is a scapegoat? I have a, I have a story. It's kind of sad, kind of funny, all right? Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, my dad was restoring a 1954 Chevy pickup truck, okay? And one of the rules was we weren't supposed to play in this truck. But of course, me and my brother had to go play in there. And so we're playing with the wheel, playing with the shifter, pushing all of the buttons. And you guys remember those old cigarette lighters? right? You push it in and all of a sudden it pops and I pulled it out and it was completely red. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I literally just put my finger on it. It burned my flesh and I had a giant um, blister right on my finger. And there I am running around my front yard screaming because my finger felt like it was on fire, right? So my dad comes running outside and he's like, what did you do? What happened? And I knew I'd be in trouble if I told him I was playing in his truck, right? So my brother became the scapegoat and I said, I don't know, Mitch did it. He, he burned my finger. He got this thing. I don't really know. And so I sat on the porch as my dad proceeded to discipline my little brother. And honestly, it broke my heart. I think this is the first time I felt guilt because he was my scapegoat. But here's the truth of the scripture. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us where traitors deserve to go. See, in Rome, the cross was an instrument of damnation for enemies of the state for traitors. But through Christ, it becomes an instrument of salvation. And so this is why Jesus came as a man, why he came in the flesh, to pay our debt. This means he felt pain. He felt fear. He experienced the pain of rejection, abandonment. He felt the spear. He felt the nails. It was all real to him. See, he didn't just forgive us. He literally took our place. And so first, Jesus comes in the flesh to take our place and forgive our sin. But the second thing, just like we sang, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets and make us righteous, to live the life we were supposed to live. Now, one of the ways I like to think of this, to be with God, like I said, we need forgiveness and righteousness. To have access to God, we need to be perfect. But because of sin, we can't be perfect. It would kind of be like me trying to get into MIT or Harvard based on my ACT score, right? Like, it's not going to work. And no matter how hard I study, no matter how hard I try, I can't get a perfect score because I don't like calculus, all right? I'm not going to get into the school. I don't have access. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes. He takes that test for us. He lives that perfect score for us, and he gives us his test score and his perfect life so that we can have access to God in him. See, a lot of people think the gospel is that we're just forgiven, and we get our sins forgiven, and then we're like a clean slate, and then it's up to us to please God with our lives. 
But it's more than this. Not only did Jesus forgive us of our sin, but he made us righteous. He made us perfect in the eyes of God through Jesus. It's kind of like being forgiven of treason and then receiving the medal of honor that we are honored by God in Christ. This is why the gospel is the best news. And next, Paul tells us Jesus is the son of God in power, that he was divine. Think of it like this. Patrick Mahomes, he was a great quarterback before he won a second Super Bowl, right? We can all agree, good quarterback. But now that he has won his second Super Bowl, we're like, yeah, he really is a good quarterback. Jesus has always been the son of God. He has always been all-powerful. But now he has conquered death as a man, and so we can say he's the son of God in power who has been resurrected from the dead. And why does it matter that Jesus is God and Jesus is man? It's because he locks hands with deity and he locks hands with us, humanity. And he joins us together. He is the bridge that gives us life. It's like a dead cell phone. A dead cell phone serves no purpose. It can't do what it was made to do. But as soon as it's connected to the charging cord, connected to electricity, the source of life, it comes back to life and it can do what it was made to do. And this is what Christ does. He brings us back to life so we can live for the glory of God. And it's important to know that Jesus is God, that he is the Son of God, because our sin is infinite. To sin against an infinite and eternal God is infinite. That's a big problem. So only Jesus, the God-man, can fully pay for and forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future, because his blood is infinite. His blood is infinite. And next, Paul tells us Jesus defeated death by his resurrection. Now, the biggest problem that we have in this life is this. We're all going to die. And death is simply separation from God and under his wrath because we are traitors. But the good news is that Jesus came to solve our biggest problem. Will we still die? Yes. But will we die an ultimate death? No. Let me explain. This is a true story. There was a pastor, and his wife was battling cancer, and they did all the treatments. They prayed for healing, and she still passed away. And he was still the pastor of a church, father of little kids. And they went to church one Sunday, and they were driving home, and his little kid in the back seat said, hey, Dad, you said if we believe in Jesus, we'll never die. But guess what? Mom died. He's heartbroken in that moment. He doesn't know what to say. He's thinking, he's praying. And in that moment, a semi-truck pulled up next to him. But before the semi-truck got next to him, the shadow of the semi-truck overshadowed his car. And he said to his son, would you rather be hit by a semi-truck or would you rather get hit by the semi of, a se of the, the shadow of the semi-truck? And the little boy said, well, obviously the shadow of the semi-truck, dad. And he said, yes, your mom was hit by the shadow of death because Jesus took on the full force of death on a cross. So your mom right now is not dead. She is alive. In fact, she's more alive than you and I. She's in the presence of Jesus, and Jesus is going to give her a new body and a new creation to be with him forever. And this is why the gospel changes us. It's the ultimate good news. It's victory over death, which leads to my third point, the saints who are called and obedient. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. It reads this, verse 5 through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So why was Jesus sent? Why was Paul sent? To bring about obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name among all the nations. See, religion and obedience is like this. It's like telling a caterpillar to fly. You can't, no matter how hard you try. But relationship with Christ, literally Jesus gives you a new heart, turns you into something new so you can fly, so you can obey. You won't obey perfectly, but you have a new heart with a new desire to obey. See, in Rome and in the Roman Empire at this time, one of the false teachings around this time was that of the Nicolaitans. And they said, hey, all you need to do is believe in God. You need to be forgiven. But guess what? You can do whatever you want. This is what Roman paganism said at the time. These gods never made you obedient from a changed heart. But Paul shows us when we have faith in Jesus, he changes us, he makes us new, and we become obedient from the heart. I have an example of this that happened recently, and you can't judge me, okay? But I was at Panera, and I was leaving, and I noticed the dude who parked next to me, it was like so close, right? You ever have someone park that that close to you, and you're just kind of upset, right? So as I'm backing out, I'm really trying not to hit him, but like the whole front of my car just scratched his wheel well. And I got there, and I looked out, and I was like, you know what? Honestly, it's kind of his fault, because he parked close to me, right? But deep in my heart, I just had a ton of fear. I'm like, man... I can't cough up $500. I don't want my insurance to go up. Man, my wife and I, we're on a budget, right? We got little kids. And so I drive off. I'm not obedient. I don't do the right thing. But the Spirit convicts me. Keith, why aren't you obedient? What are you doing right now? So I call up my boy, Alex Marquez, and I tell him what happened. And I'm like, dude, just hit this car. I don't know, man. What do you think I should do? And I love what Alex said. It was something like, hey, man, God loves you. Just do the right thing. Uh, Go back and write a letter and put put it on their window. And so I left with fear and trembling because I didn't want to cough up $500. And then I drove back just knowing, man, God loves me. I'm so secure. Everything in the universe is his. I can be obedient because God loves me. He's going to have my back. I can do the right thing even if it hurts because my heart has been changed by the gospel of God. And the story's kind of funny. I write the letter, I put it on his vehicle, and he calls me up later. I'm like, all right, he's going to be upset. He has a pretty nice truck, right? And he's like, dude, this is amazing. I can't believe you have integrity to call me. And he's like, honestly, I'm really rich, and I'm a Christian, and so don't even worry about it. Uh, but we should, we should just meet up for a coffee. I'd love to hear about your church. So it ended really good, okay? Yeah. And so here's the good news about obedience. I obey because I'm loved and secure. Not so I will be loved and secure. And notice Paul says, and you who are called. I love that. He makes it personal. He says, and you. What does it mean to be called? This isn't a calling like, man, I feel called to Greeley or that job or ministry or something. No, this is a call to know God personally. See, if you're a Christian, you've been called. Before you were born, God has been calling you, drawing you in to reveal his gospel to you, to bring you near. This is literally why you were born and why you exist, to answer this call. See, God's call is like a tornado. He brings you in with his great power. He raises you up to see his great love. And when you catch a glimpse, just a glimpse of the truth of Jesus, you're going to see his surpassing worth and power. You see, he's more powerful than any kingdom or dictator in all of creation. You see, he's more loving than the best relationship. And you see that he offers what you really need. 
And then like a tornado, I love God's call. He brings you in, and then he always sends you out to live on mission with a new understanding and a new nature. And he calls us saints here. Now, there's some religions out there that say to be a saint, you have to be special. You have to perform some weird, crazy miracle before you die. And I would say, yes, those people probably are saints. But Paul says anyone who truly believes in Christ is a saint. So all of us who believe in Jesus are saints. This is our primary identity. And this is how God sees you, even though you don't obey perfectly. And Paul ends here with, we are loved by God and to receive grace and peace. Why is this important? God love, God's love is unlimited. In the world, love is very limited. Think of it like this. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse can't love you enough to satisfy you. And when we try, it creates codependency or heartbreak. Alcohol, money, career, social media, none of these things can love us enough to satisfy us. Our parents can't love us enough to satisfy us. But God, his love is deeper, it's higher, it's eternal. And you know what we need? The love of God. We need the holy love of a father to encourage us and be there for us with his truth and his power. And don't we all wish we had that one big brother who always had our back, who was there for us no matter what, to pick up the tab, to protect us in every single way? Well, I'm here to say Jesus is that big brother who literally went through hell, hell on a cross to bring you home, to be with you now and forever. And his love, scripture says, is even closer than a brother. And last, Paul says, grace and peace to you. Grace is simply undeserved favor. It's getting something that you don't deserve. It's like getting someone else's inheritance. Imagine your enemy leaving his inheritance to you. It's crazy, right? It's kind of like the, the refs calling the game for the chiefs, right? Undeserved favor, right? But they're going to take it. They're not going to decline that penalty, right? Like they're going to receive that free gift. In Salt Church, we can't decline the grace of God, this free gift. And so that's my question for you this morning. Has the grace of God, has it become personal to you? You know, I've been in a lot of churches that can make the gospel really impersonal. And the gospel isn't good news anymore. It becomes the bad news of all these things that you have to do, but you don't want to do, but you feel like you should, so God will love you. Maybe he'll love you if you do enough. And I want us to remember, the gospel is first and foremost the good news that Jesus did something for you, personally for you. Have you responded? And I promise you this, if you respond and you receive this grace, it's going to give you a new purpose. I recently heard that half of men today in America don't have a job, and as a result, they feel like they don't have a purpose. They're lonely, they're depressed. And I believe every man is called to find work. They're made for it. And when they find it, honestly, it can be pretty fulfilling. It can give us Purpose. It's not an ultimate purpose. It can't fully satisfy. But here's the truth. This calling to follow Jesus is greater than career. It's greater than your desire for marriage or family. This calling to know Jesus is literally what you were made for. You were made to know God. Have you answered the call? Have you bowed your knee to the king? You can either bow now and enjoy Christ forever, or you can reject him. And you can bow later when it's too late. And so Salt Church, we want to be a people who are transformed by the gospel. What happened in Rome, 
we want to happen here. Maybe minus our heads getting cut off, okay? I mean, I guess if it happens, it happens, right? But what happened in Rome, we want to happen here in Greeley. And I believe if we follow the teachings of the apostles, if we follow the Savior, and we invite saints who are called and obedient, we believe God can do just that. He can plant churches in places like Boulder and Laramie and to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your good news. We thank you that it is a good news that's so much better than any good news the world could ever offer. Lord, your good news forgives us. Lord, we have, we have turned, we have sinned, all of us, the scriptures say. And Lord, we're so thankful that you're a gracious and merciful Father. You should respond to us in opposition, but instead you move towards us. You love us. You take our place to free us. And then you make us righteous. You give us righteousness by faith. That if we believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you came from heaven to earth to live the life that we should have lived, that you died on a cross, that you shed your blood to forgive us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and that you rose from the grave conquering death, that if we believe in that, you make us righteous, and that we will never taste the ultimate death because you tasted it for us. And Lord, we want to pray if there's anyone in here in their heart and they haven't bowed the knee to you, Lord, we want to give that opportunity now. Now, just this simple prayer. Jesus, I have sinned. I don't know your love. I'm weak. I'm broken. But I hear the good news that you're a good dad. You sent your son. You love me. And I'm here to say, yes, I believe. I believe, Jesus, that you are the son of God, that you are the big brother that I need, and that what you have is what I really need. And so I just say yes in my heart to you, King Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.